0: Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined, as always, by Kevin, I take full responsibility, Hume.
1: How are you today, Kevin? Uh, I guess I'm taking full responsibility for something, aren't I?
0: (laughs) Yeah, did you see the debate? Did you hear Donald John Trump say those words? I take full responsibility. I was flabbergasted. I'm not sure he's ever said those words before in his life.
1: And then immediately followed it with but it's china's fault for letting it come here or something well, on
0: those i mean yes i mean he's he's still donald trump after all uh, anyway um I'm no Nate Silver, and I don't even know if Nate Silver is Nate Silver when it comes to (laughs) prognosticating what will happen in less than two weeks on on November 3rd. So I don't really want to, like, you know, say what, you know, who won the debate or what it's going to do. But I am prepared to share with you, the listening audience, some of my personal highlights from the debate, which, by the way, was much more civilized than Trump and Biden's first face off. But then again, that's a low bar. Even a UFC match uh, has rules and brawlers respect the referee, unlike what happened uh, a few weeks back. So, Yeah,
1: what would a UFC match be like with a mute button?
0: <laughs> we wouldn't have to hear Conor McGregor mouth off so much. <laughs> Anyway, um, I don't know if I didn't notice this during the first debate or during Biden's, you know, however many months, years on the campaign trail. Uh, this might not be new, but it really jumped out at me on Thursday. Um, and I think this should really be the only line of attack anyone really needs against Trump. I mean, in a in a sane universe, in a universe that, that uh, abided by logic, uh, the two words are, come on. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, folks. <laughs> Biden repeated that a lot the other night and uh it, it made sense to me. It was kind of just like, you know, what am I going to say? You know who Biden is now. You know who Trump is now. And like, come on. Do you really need any more information?
1: Like, seriously, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on.
0: Biden uh, had a few other good turns of phrase in reference to Trump's read between the lines racism. He had a dog whistle as big as a foghorn. Now that is folksy. <laughs> and in reference to the 1994 crime bill that Biden once championed but now says was a mistake, he wants to reform parts of it, particularly, quote, particularly the portion on cocaine, <laughs> but out of context. It's kind of like party on, Joe, party on. Uh, uh, And, you know, in all seriousness, you know, drugs and alcohol destroy people's lives. But I want you all to remember that Donald Trump is a teetotaler who eats overdone steaks. So you do the math, America.
1: Right and then and you know throws like McDonald's parties at the White House like what what's the trade off there like with cocaine versus
0: like <laughs> McDonald's that the guy eats it's got uh, a balance you know you might be more healthy <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um, the so Trump you know had some highlights of his own um Donald Trump said that he was the least racist person in the room
1: mm-hmm. yeah right
0: and and that he has done more for the black community than any president since Abraham Lincoln.
1: God, I really hate that phrase. (laughs) It's it's, it's like the dumbest thing that he could ever say. I mean, out of numerous dumb things that he can say.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, to quote both Joe Biden and George Oscar Bluth.
1: Oh, (laughs) come on.
0: (laughs) I Uh. mean, I guess Trump did once say that civil rights activists were good people, but remember it was in the context of there are good people on both
1: sides. Oh God.
0: I uh, also finally, I really liked uh, this turn of phrase from Trump, the laptop from hell seems appropriate with Halloween right around the corner. Kind (laughs) of spooky. He was of course, referring to a hard drive that Rudy Giuliani uh, provided to the New York Post, um, which is apparently, uh, according to Giuliani and um, a few other people, full of incriminating emails, which are said to connect Hunter and Joe to a shady dealings with Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company. Um, but
1: Right, right. Because they wouldn't destroy a laptop with all of that information on it. It would <laughs> just be at some random dude's shop in Delaware.
0: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Random, random dude, uh, Nikolai (laughs) Valisi, (laughs) uh, I have laptop for you. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we have to take this with a big handful of salt. Not only did business insider, uh, report that certain journalists at the very conservative pro Trump, most of the time, New York post have reservations about publishing, uh, this story, but it's hard to really trust a guy who just literally got caught on camera putting his hand <laughs> down his pants. Um, you know, in the, in, in the new Borat movie, uh, he, to, to, to his, uh, in his defense, he says he was tucking in his shirt, but, um, here's the thing. He was day drinking with a, uh, uh, a, a foreign journalist more than half his age. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, although we can't necessarily prove it, I think that if this is true, I think it even speaks more for the frailty of his mind. He seemed to actually think a young woman would want to sleep with him.
1: Yeah. He was like, you know, asking for her phone number and address or something like right before it.
0: I mean, I guess, you know, we shouldn't kink shame. There's. There. <laughs> There's lots, lot, you know, it's possible that, that someone would want to have consensual sex with Rudy Giuliani, but.
1: Oh, <sighs> oh come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: God. How far America's mayor has fallen.
0: Yes. Glad you said that, Kevin, because it reminded me of that scene from uh, what may be my favorite Quentin Tarantino film, Jackie Brown, the part near the end where Samuel L. Jackson is in the minibus with Robert De Niro after De Niro has totally screwed the pooch on the deal. And I just imagine saying to Giuliani, who in the aftermath of 9 11, like you said, was dubbed America's mayor, I just imagine saying to him,
1: What the fuck happened to you, man? Your ass <laughs> oh, yes, used to be beautiful. <laughs> well he wasn't beautiful but
0: (laughs) yeah but i mean like what did happen to him
1: ah man i don't know i mean from what i've gathered from reading numerous posts on reddit that he wasn't always that great of a mayor he just got a lot of cleaning up of the city done during his terms and then Mm -hmm. immediately after 9-11 was able to kind of boost his reputation by just being a a semi-decent leader in a way, you know, like by uniting the city and, you know, it's not very hard. I don't think to unite behind firefighters and police when they're actually doing their jobs and being heroic, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I read an article that, uh, it, like his daughter wrote in, uh, Vanity Fair recently, uh, basically saying, please don't vote for Trump and please and, and se- essentially disregard my father and don't listen to him. So, you know, when your kids are coming out against (laughs) you like that, uh, pretty bad sign. Pretty bad sign.
0: Well, enough about that. Um, Last week, we talked about the end stage capitalist vampire squids over at Civil. Remember this, Kevin? (laughs) I do. They they make an app that gigifies eviction related jobs. Um, And this week, we're going to talk about another total bummer of a startup although they aren't quite as sinister. I'm talking about party squasher.
1: (laughs) What a name.
0: (laughs) I know as, as the editor of SF weekly, I get a lot of wacky and frankly, downright whack press releases and pitches for the worst products. And this is one of them. So with party squasher, um, you install this sensor and software And then you, you besieged multi-property owning Airbnb vacation home renter, you can uh, police the folks who every once in a while scrape together enough money and time off to go on a short vacation and invite a few too many friends. To quote the press release, the sensor passively counts the mobile devices in and around the home, even if they are not connected to Wi-Fi to deliver data on the number of mobile devices at the property. Once connected, the sensor detects devices throughout the entire house, including front and backyards. Property owners are able to specify different occupancy alert thresholds for each property, and only get alert if detection occupancy goes above that selected limit. End quote.
1: It just sounds, you know, it's it's definitely spying. I mean, I mean, I understand the need and the, the desire to want to protect your property uh but like
0: this is my this is one of my problems with it what happened to the good old days i mean like technology is making it so easy for the narcs you know what i mean (laughs) It's like like whatever happened to catching a guy fair and square like your dad used to have to like come home because he forgot something you know or they were late to leave for vacation like in uh, like in that movie
1: like in what, Dace and Confused,
0: Dace, right? Dace and Confused, and the keg, the keg guy comes to the door. Yeah. And the dad's like... like
1: uh. And they're just like, oh, man.
0: He's like, I think you got the wrong house.
1: I think you got the wrong house.
0: <laughs> used to, like, I mean, it used to be kind of a fair playing field. Like, for teenagers who wanted to throw a party, you know, I feel bad for these guys. I mean, I don't own prop. Like, I don't own a home. Maybe I'll... I'll... <laughs> Maybe I'll turn. Maybe I'll turn a page in my life, and I'll Uh, I'll be. I I will become the party squasher. We're the
1: generations that doesn't own homes, man. Like we're, you know, especially
0: because we're journalists.
1: Yeah, for real. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, anyways, um, we do it for the love, people, not for the money. We do okay with that um, let's get on to the podcast coming up we have the san francisco born MC frack who has a new LP out called B-List celebrities and we'll also hear from SF weekly contributor Veronica Irwin who has an interview with Chris Garcia lead curator for Berkeley dispensary high fidelity they'll talk about the changing landscape of cannabis banking in California stay tuned we'll be right back I
2: just think I think goes yeah. goes. Emotions uh, 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 ghosting ghost, ghost,
3: ghost.
2: yeah. Walking like you like talking But you talking, 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 talking when I'm not around Walking like, like I'm talking around. I'm a dick, that's when I'm walking out When you're high and lonely It's the only time you call me now Fucked around and turn my damn phone Into a haunted house we were riding on autopilot. Thought she was ride or die till we got low mileage. So exposed, open door she gon' ghost ride it. And all my future love songs, she gon' ghost ride them. Yeah, she was a ghost in the wind. She had rear view eyes and rose tinted skin. There was no synonym for her cold innocence. See, she never picked it up, but still she phoned it in. Congratulations, bitch, I'm Ghost Malone Uh, Thought that I was over it, instead I am an overload Crying me a river, I'm just hoping I don't overflow She's a form of opiates, I'm hoping I don't overdose Got me saying petty shit to make sure that I don't explode Like damn, you ain't a model, you in portrait mode Uh, If I got ghosted in the woods alone with no one, no Falling through the cracks because I couldn't crack her moral code
0: We're back with Alex Fracknoy, better known to his fans as Frack. The San Francisco MC came up on the local and eventually national battle rap scene. He recently caused a stir in that world when the King of the Dot judges ruled that disaster had beaten Frack in an off-top showdown on September 20th. The reason for the controversy? Well, it seems that Twitter and Reddit disagree, to put it mildly. Frack's devotees, both new and old, decried the decision, saying that Frack had actually bodied disaster and argued that the young rhymesmith had been robbed. But that's not what we're really here to talk about. We're here to talk with Frack about his new album, B List Celebrities, which dropped earlier this week on Keep It Movin', the Empire Records imprint of Bay Area rap legend Zion I. Welcome to the podcast, Frack.
4: Yo, what's good man? The, the combo of of like old school colloquial English mixed with battle rap lingo in that intro was amazing.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I try. I do my best. <laughs> so, um I know I said we weren't going to talk about it, but let's talk about it just a little <laughs> bit. Uh were you robbed by the King of the Dot judges back in September? Be real with us.
4: You know, in the moment, um I wasn't sure. I I kind of went in knowing the disaster as he's like, he was kind of the number one seed of the tournament. Um, And I was one of the more unknown people in the tournament. So I went in knowing that it was a a big disadvantage and that I might lose even if I win. And I was at peace with that, knowing I had an album coming out, you know, the next month. And, you know, I was at peace with being robbed going into it. But I think um, to the common fan who they saw this underdog, Kind of have a David versus Goliath moment and defeat the number one seed. It was so upsetting to everyone that it just created this huge controversy and splash on the splash on the internet because it's a fifty thousand dollar tournament, and the fans just wanted it to be as fair as possible. Um, but yeah, watching the battle back and uh, you know analyzing the rounds, I think I definitely was robbed, and I won all three rounds.
0: <laughs> all right. All right, well, Know Thyself. Um, So uh, you've got this new record, B-List Celebrities. Uh, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that more in a minute, but can you start off by telling us um, how the album came to be and a bit more about your relationship and friendship with uh, Zion I?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of a a good podcast, heartwarming story, but um, (laughs) I started rapping when I was like 14 years old. And uh, there's an organization out here in the Bay called Youth Speaks, which I later ended up working for. But they do great work with uh, youth all around the Bay Area doing hip hop and spoken word. And uh, there's a competition called the MC Olympics. And, you know, I I had only been rapping in my little garage band set up in my bedroom alone. I had never, you know, came outside. And when I got into it and found this community, it was a big deal for me. And I ended up, I think, winning the competition when I was like fifteen, sixteen years old. And uh Zionai was one of the judges. It was really my first big live show. It was at the new parish in Oakland. And uh I got to meet Zionai there. And, you know, we stayed in touch. I started throwing these MC Olympics events years later when I worked for Youth Speaks and I got Zionai to headline one of the events, and he's kinda one of those artists who is in his own world, but he still stays tapped in with the community, and it was a really cool full full circle moment for him to uh, take me on tour and take this album under the wing of his new imprint on Empire. You feel me?
0: Cool. Um. So the track list on the new album is filled with the names of you know well B list celebrities or some are indisputably B list celebrities in probably everybody's book maybe not all people's um I, I don't know about Aubrey Plaza but uh we got we got Macaulay Culkin uh some people might disagree with that too but you know Rick Moranis Judge Judy and more um so there is this conceptual thread running through the album and, and i was hoping you could talk about that and and also talk about what you're trying to do with this record um more broadly and, and 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 in growing your voice and your brand and and your your platform as an artist
4: yeah yes yeah, so my last album was called limewire 03 in a way it was a sort of a concept album as well um but i kind of released it disparately um using like different singles one of them was pretty big it was a song called draymond which ended up playing like um before the Warriors, uh, games at Oracle Arena. And there was another song called Small Talk with Watsky. So it had its like big singles, but there was just no cohesiveness or like consistent aesthetic to the project. And like my main goal with this project was to make something super cohesive that just had a sound and vibe and look to it. And I had written a song called Aubrey Plaza because, you know, she's kind of my like the love of my life. (laughs) And it made me think like, okay, I could do a whole album of this, especially with the success of that song, Draymond. People tend to like songs that aren't necessarily about a person, but that are named after it and abstractly related to that person. So it inspired this concept. And I just started kind of using that creative, you know, embed to work on other stuff as kind of a canvas. And it ended up making kind of a, a cool concept album out of it.
0: Right on. Um. And this album isn't the only thing that you've been working on uh, recently. I understand that you've also been um, reaching across the aisle a bit. You're not a Republican, but uh, I understand you did a little bit of work with the uh, Never Trump conservative group, The Lincoln Project, helping them write uh, some humorous raps that are paired with cartoons and and which take aim at um, Trump. Can, Can you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, actually, we didn't uh, work with the Lincoln Project. It was a a it's a it's a company, my friend's company called Rhyme Combinator, Um, okay. And it's actually through uh, Reed Hoffman, who's the CEO of uh, LinkedIn, who kind of is doing his part to, uh, you know, in a sense, make content about the elections to inspire people to vote. And um, we made these rap and and a lot of them were using you know organizations and psychological research to kind of persuade people who are on the right and center right to either not vote for Trump or vote the other way. And um the Lincoln Project happened to be interested in posting our content which was perfect for us. They really were just distributors, but it was it worked out great because their fan base is super <laughs> right and uh, you know anti-Trump right, which is kind of who we wanted to reach anyway. And um it was pretty unbelievable like they did research on Afterwards, and like the the memes and rap battles and content we were making is like more persuasive than like some political ads are. So I think it just shows that people just want funny, like entertaining shit, and that that can be sometimes, you know, more persuasive than things that are you know lamentingly made to be persuasive. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think it does, and and that um that's interesting to me because uh you know I. I wonder about that. I mean, how I might convince somebody if I, if I were knocking door to door or phone banking, um, did you, did you learn anything besides that, you know, the power of humor, like, of how to, you know, convince some stubborn person about like, yo, this guy is the worst. Um, and <laughs> we need to get him out of there. Like did you pick up any tips and tricks you could share with us?
4: Nah, that's all Illuminati secrets, man. I apologize. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, we we definitely picked up some stuff that like, like as a battle rapper, you know, you sit down to write your battles and you want to directly attack your opponent. Like when I battle disaster, I'm thinking, okay, he thinks COVID is a conspiracy. He lost these battles. This is how he, you know, I'm trying to attack him directly as a human being. But actually with these political things, the indirect soft attacks were actually more persuasive like if you kind of like if we were to destroy trump you know what i mean which is what every late shy, late night show is doing
3: mm-hmm. it's
4: already kind of deemed as cliché but if you kind of hit him from you know humorous angles or hit him in you know soft indirect ways where he's actually saying something about himself that makes himself look bad but could make himself look good. You know, it's those more like blurred lines that are really effective in persuasion because people in in such a divided country, people don't want to be told something. They want to kind of come up with their own opinion.
0: What about talking about his hair?
4: <laughs> definitely, definitely hair bars. <laughs> the, t- the, the tax money, all that money, you know, is genius because I, I was looking at my taxes like how what what can I, you know, what can I try and get off, you know, the tax deductible? But him the 75k in hair products, that is <laughs> genius.
0: Is <laughs> important. that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. That is uh that's your president folks right now at least for now. Anyway, uh before we go, could you maybe give us a sample of of one of the um bars that that you came up with that that made it through to to one of those ads?
4: Oh yeah, definitely. Um so we just we just are doing a, a couple more now that are just coming out now, but we did a a Trump versus Biden rap battle which was really good. Um, and it, it, it said, uh, um, oh yeah. So it was, it was kind of based on his, uh, will the real, you know, the, the, the proud boys stand up and stand by. So we kind of did an Eminem remix. So uh, Biden says, uh, condemn white supremacy, please man, try. And then the Eminem beat starts and Trump says, will the real proud boys please stand by? (laughs) (laughs) Okay
0: nice um and is that one out right now can, can people yeah that one's out that?
4: we got we just put out trump versus the mailman talking about voter fraud and we just oh, put yeah. out trump versus biden so you can check that out at rhyme combinator or on my social media at frack the person
0: cool well hey uh, i want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today the album b-list celebrities is available on spotify apple music and all the other usual suspects um thanks again frack
4: Appreciate you, Nick. Thanks for having
2: me, bro. hi day, entree, Do you want up She said you can hit the road. She looks like Aubrey Plaza. She act like she a virgin. You are not Madonna. She say I don't give a fuck. I look like Ari Plaza. She thinks she finna change me like Barack Obama. But I'm a leather because she's talking like she's Aubrey Plaza. She chucked the deuces. Then she told me to live long and prosper. But I'm a follow because she's talking like she's Ari Plaza she dropped her books up in the hallway i tried to help she hit me with the kelly and conway started my sentence like would you be my prom day said i'ma let you finish like kanye with beyonce she conquered my heart she's a conquistador still read the aura and Diodora, she's mia moore she pulled up in the kia sport then she made me sweep the floors she's mean as hell she talks to me like she's regina george I finally made it to the promised land. Her room had a Gwen Stefani poster and a lava lamp. They could tell she was a bad bitch from her sonogram. I feel like I'm simping. Aubrey Plaza, I'm her Aubrey Graham. Boy. I guess I love the idea of her. How the filters made her eyes gleam on IG. Discover. C- Hi
3: there. This is Veronica Irwin, freelance contributor for SF Weekly. For my first segment on the SF Weekly podcast, I'm here with Chris Garcia, lead curator for Berkeley Dispensary High Fidelity. Chris is here to talk with us today about issues with cannabis banking and a story I wrote for SF Weekly about Assembly Bill 1525. The bill, which Gavin Newsom signed into law on September 29th, removed state-level restrictions on financial institutions for working with cannabis businesses. However, because cannabis is federally defined as a Schedule I narcotic, most banking institutions are wary of working with cannabis businesses, and unless you're a big chain with an even bigger reputation, becoming fully banked is virtually impossible. That leaves most dispensaries, like Chris's, to fend for themselves. I should also say Chris Garcia is my old boss. (laughs) I was a bud tender, or a cannabis bartender, or a sales associate, whichever term you prefer, at High Fidelity for a couple months about a year ago. High Fidelity has one of the biggest selections in the Bay Area, and I can personally say Chris is an expert about all things in the industry and the plant itself, and is kind of who I imagine when I say the term cannabis connoisseur. I definitely learned a lot from him and the whole management team at High Fidelity and genuinely really love the staff, so I'm glad to have Chris on the podcast this week. How's it going, Chris?
5: I appreciate that, Veronica. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, you were such a, a, a lively force on the on the floor, and <clears throat> excuse me, you were always willing to learn and and uh, understand.
3: Oh well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. So, just to start, I'm wondering if you can kind of explain for the audience what the consequences are of not having access to banking as a cannabis business.
5: Well, it's like any business. I mean, there are a lot of businesses that don't. Use cash. They simply rely on bank transfers or you know, uh, you know, per, uh, business checks. You know, whatever it is that 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 are used. But cash is not something that's used overall in the business world. So there's one. One. The other is also just the fact that cash is something that you always have on hand. Cash is what makes uh, uh, businesses vulnerable when it comes to crime. Uh, I'll say.
3: Right. Right. So, what kind of problems do you run into then on just a day-to-day basis? I mean, running a cash-only business, I feel like, is so rare now.
5: Yeah, no, I uh, <clears throat> I agree. There's especially now during COVID. I mean, there's a lot of pa- places that are cashless. You know, unless you have a debit card or 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 uh, some type of bank card or credit card, uh, they they can't do any service for you. So, with us, what it is is since the majority of the economy is running in that situation. The majority of the customers that come into our establishment don't have cash on them. They have a credit card or a debit card. So they'll either have to run to an ATM or in some cases, uh, some of the bigger dispensaries have an ATM on site or actually have access to a debit card.
3: Do you ever worry that that puts you at a disadvantage uh, when you're in competition with other dispensaries that might have an ATM or can take a debit card?
5: Uh, I, uh, 100%. I, one, uh, as I think any retailer can tell you, people are a little more willing to, to put a little bit more on their, on their, you know, or take a little bit more out of their debit than what they have on hand as far as cash goes. So somebody may come in and you know, put up $200 worth of product, and they only have $160 worth of you know, of cash on their hands, if we're lucky, you know, sometimes it's 40 or 50. And then we lose that part of the sale. So we're losing the majority of our sale that, we, that our sales staff went through, simply because of the disadvantage of not having a debit card or only being able to take cash.
3: So how do you make that case to consumers? Like, hey, it's still worth it to shop here, even though you're going to have to run to the ATM? before you check out?
5: Well, it's like anything. I mean, uh, look at our selection for one. I'm speaking, of course, of high fidelity. I mean, you have to be able to draw people into your business. You know, our location is key, of course, uh, because we're in the heart of Berkeley, if you will, or the soul of Berkeley, as as it's known. And we are also at one point, you know, until recently during the lockdown, uh, we're a, a point of destination. So, you know, also a lot of those people coming in uh they only have a debit card you know so they're gonna go up the street to the to the bigger to the corporate owned dispensary or to the 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 one in the city that has a debit card as you, you know and that they take whatever it is it's it's definitely a disadvantage in that sense you know like the the spending amount and the customer that we attract
3: yeah totally and How does it affect your employees, do you think? I mean, I know I can talk from personal experience when I had to file for unemployment in the pandemic, like many of us have. It was actually very difficult for me to track down how much money I had made at High Fidelity because I didn't have that electronic trail from all the direct deposits. And sometimes you make a purchase before you deposit all that cash from your paycheck. So you don't know how much the paycheck itself actually always was
5: uh yeah i think for for a lot of staff it's the same issues that other that other consumers would have when they're out as as people in the world and you know when you're only have cash you go to businesses and they don't take your cash you know and you know a lot of people it's i've always you know i've always had it myself and i'm speaking from a, a personal experience but you know uh Direct deposit is always, you know, great for people because, you know, if you know when it's going to be in there, you can schedule payments for for bills and everything else because of it. But, you know, in this case, it's like you need to then if you have a bank account still because you're only receiving cash, do you now have to start a bank account? And then you have to go deposit the, the hard cash itself instead of actually having, a, a you know, direct deposit.
3: Right, right. So. What needs to change at the federal level? I mean, obviously, cannabis is federally illegal. I already said that. Does it have to be legalized for you to have access to banking? Or, you know, what are the options kind of on the table right now?
5: The, we need to de-schedule cannabis. It, is not, it should not be scheduled as a drug. It should not be. It, even if you take it from Schedule 1 and put it into Schedule 2, uh, along with cocaine, you, you are still giving the government a way to regulate what should be classified as a herbal remedy. And that's basically all it is. We should all be able to just grow our own cannabis or be able to buy it from our neighbor who grows it, <clears throat> excuse me, or go down to the local farmer market and buy it next to my tomatoes. Whatever it is, this is the way that cannabis really should be being sold. But unfortunately, because of government, we have to and regulation, which you know I'm all about playing in a business in a fair business. Don't get me wrong you know i'm I'm not putting it down in that way, but in as a personal opinion, I will say that would be the best thing to happen now, as far as a business and banking goes, of course, descheduling it to to two down to two along with cocaine it, it, at least you then can can The taxes and the business that the the feds are now uh, controlling because it's considered an illegal substance will go away, if you understand what I'm saying. I didn't mean to make it so long-winded.
3: No, no, I don't think that's long-winded at all. I do want to pause for a moment just to explain for audience uh, members, listeners who might not know uh, what we mean when we say drug scheduling or when we refer to drug scheduling. Um, So the DEA basically has a five-tier system for classifying different drugs based on their medical value and their addictive potential. So Schedule 1 is considered highly addictive and no accepted medical use, while something in Schedule 5 has a much more common medical use and is much less addictive. Um, A good example, I think, is cocaine, obviously a very highly addictive substance, but it's actually Schedule 2 instead of Schedule 1 because it has some anesthetic properties. And so, therefore, it has some medical use. The crazy thing is... Despite being medically legal in I think 33 different states now, cannabis, according to the DEA, has no accepted medical use and is highly addictive, and so it's considered Schedule One. Did I explain that right, Chris?
5: That's exactly right, and so you that, the businesses that are considered hands off the plant businesses, you know, uh, the packaging companies and and uh, some of the uh, We'll say branding and hat makers and these guys are making a windfall of money and and are able to write off regular taxes in this industry. But the, the dispensaries and the growers and all of the other ones don't get any leniency from the federal government and we don't get to write anything off as a usual business.
3: Right. When a substance is Schedule 1, it generally isn't even eligible for federally funded research, except in very, very specific circumstances. So Schedule 1 is extremely prohibitive. Um, I'm wondering if you can explain, though, the difference between the terms rescheduling and descheduling, because I think they're kind of thrown around a lot, um, especially as we're all talking all across the country right now about legalizing cannabis. Um, so can you define those two terms for me? Sure.
5: So uh, my take of it is is of course descheduling, which is I think what most people are in favor of, at least can- people who have been in the cannabis industry and 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 uh, and have had cannabis as a part of their life or is their life, you know, descheduling is what we all want. I think most activists want that. I'm sure that's what normal would prefer. But Rescheduling. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. Let me elaborate on that. Which, which means that it's it's no longer controlled or, or or considered a drug at all. Like I said, it's it's a plant that grows and and it grows with my tomatoes and and my basil and my you know or it grows underneath my in my lime arbor or wherever you're growing it for your for use. Uh, like any type of of uh of food or or anything you use to for health, you know, sustenance. Uh, it should just be able to grow free and people should be able to get it on their own, buy it from their neighbor uh, instead of having to go through the government, have it regulated, have it taxed, have it controlled, have it criminalized, you know, uh, which is all rescheduling is going to do. You're going to basically take it from being Schedule 1, as you, as you explained earlier, down to Schedule 2, if you're lucky, maybe Schedule 3, but I doubt it. You know, there there are still a large amount of the of the politicians uh, in the House and Senate who believe cannabis is addicted and it's bad for you. Uh, of course, there are no studies that, that show that, but that, that's what they believe. So uh, to me, that's the difference between uh, descheduling and rescheduling.
3: Right. So I want to ask a fun question just to kind of wrap things up. I hope to ask everybody who comes on my segment of the podcast this. What have you been smoking lately?
5: do you have anything you'd recommend uh of course i mean I, uh, luckily because of my position, I get to uh sample some of the best weed and the best weed in the state so um yeah, I could run through uh let me let me see here one of one of my favorites currently is the uh fig farms government lemons uh very reminds me of a very very uh on point sour tangy, Uh, very citrus, not as much lemon, but definitely more of that combination. And the high, it's it's just got one of those, you know, what I call the it, you know, and I think a lot of people call the it and that's just when you smoke it. And, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes later, you just have a permanent grin on your face. You know it's just oh yeah yeah i'm I'm pretty high and i'm happy you know it's uh that that particular strain is is really good i also like the uh, dark karma by fake farms uh but uh you know i also like to give a smoke a lot of sun-grown flowers so uh i really enjoyed that pacific cultivation snickerdoodle that we had for a while it's a organic weed which i usually try to smoke the majority of myself uh And uh, another one of the uh, other ones, of course, is the Wanderlust by uh, Sunbolt Grown, uh, another uh, farm up in Humboldt. Well, Pacific Cultivation is in in Mendocino. Sunbolt Grown is in Humboldt, but uh, both of those flowers to me are some of the the best examples of of that strain in particular for sun-grown flower. And uh, we also, I also had access to some of Pacific Cultivation's animal mints, uh, which we 'll have on the floor here in a, in the next week uh some of their uh, light depth flour that was real surprisingly delicious and very very uh, uplifting uh, as somebody who smokes a lot of weed i, I try to smoke a little bit more sativa leaning or thin leafed indica if you will right, uh, right. whichever world you 're living in the uh, uh so but the, to me those are those are my favorite strains right now cultivars sorry
3: right on well thank you so much for your time and for your recommendation and for coming on the podcast i appreciate it
5: you're welcome veronica always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, hopefully we can burn one together soon or at least two you can have your own and i'll have mine
3: (laughs) right covid style
5: (laughs) all right bye bye
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced, engineered, and recorded by me, Nick Veronin, with recording and engineering help from SF Weekly contributor Veronica Irwin. The tunes you heard in between segments were Rick Moranis and Aubrey Plaza by Frack. Our theme music was composed by The Armature. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sfweeklypodcast and check out our website sfweekly.com. See you next week.